Father God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to serve you here today. Thank you that we get to worship freely in a place um, where everyone is welcomed. Lord, we want to ask that you will be with us as we hear from your word today. Open our hearts and minds to see what you want us um, to understand, to change, to be challenged by today. In your name, amen. So, have you ever gone to being really hungry? Well, yes, we've all been really hungry. But have you ever been so hungry that you went to the fridge? I don't know, it might be the cupboard is your first port of call for you, but for me, the fridge is the first port of call. I don't know, it just seems there's more convenient, quick things in a fridge. So imagine you've gone to the fridge in your house, you open up the fridge, and all there is is like two carrots that are kind of rubbery and, you know, butter and milk and not much else. Not right now and eat it. So then, with sheer disappointment, you go from the fridge to the cupboard and go, all right, there must be something in the cupboard that I'll be able to get out quickly and snack on. And then you open up the cupboard and the only things that are in the cupboard is like flour, breadcrumbs. And you're like, great, well, there's nothing there for me either. And in that moment, there is a devastating realisation that the only way that you are going to eat a snack is if you cook one. But I have a solution. I have a solution for you. Because if you have not much in your fridge and not much in your cupboard, but you need a really quick snack and you can take like five minutes, then this recipe is what you can take. It is called... Three, two, one, plus one cake, all right? Three, two, one, plus one cake. And we're going to make it here this morning, so I need three people that are going to volunteer and come up and make it for me. And then Neil's going to whip it away while we flick through some scriptures, and then he's going to um, bring it out, and we're going to chop it up and eat it out the back, um, outside when we're finished. So... Easy, easy cake. The recipe is three cups of self-raising flour, two cups of milk, one cup of sugar, and then one cup of anything else if you want to add it in. Now, this was the recipe that was given to me years and years ago. Um, if you're someone that goes, I don't like eating sugar, then you could put other flavours to replace that. Perhaps don't put one cup of something else in, but or reduce that if you want, but just so it's easy to remember, it's three, two, one, plus one cake. All right. Who here thinks they are amazing at cooking? Here's the categories. You're amazing at cooking and you'd love to demonstrate your skills in front of this worthy audience. Or you do not know how to cook at all and you'd love to walk away from this church service being able to say, I have accomplished and achieved something today. So that's the other category. Or if you just go, actually, you know, I look, there's chocolate chips up there. If I go and help her, maybe there'll be some leftovers. So if you fall Now's the time to make your move. If you are in one of those categories, just get up and come down. All right, we've got two. We need one more. What category do you think these? <laughs> All right, we need to even these things up. Let's go. We need a lady from the house who is going to come and cook for us. Oh, there is a lot of hands being um, pointed um, to Talia Richardson right now. 
So all those in favour of her coming down, I think, yes. Like, how, how could you not? Okay, so here's the deal. Come down, stand behind one table, lads. Yep, yep, real men wear pink, remember that. Okay, pop your, pop your gloves on. Uh, so you've got sultanas as your add-in, you've got chocolate as your add-in, and you've got nothing. You're just doing it plain for all those plain Jane people out there, which is fine. Now, the milk is there. You're going to need two cups of it, okay? So once you open the milk, you're going to need two. Rather, well, I think you've got rather big hands. That's the issue, not the gloves. Okay, so if you have a look, that's the ingredients. That's easy, but let's go to the method. So ready? Here's the, <laughs> here's the method. Okay. Really simple. Everything, chuck it in the bowl, mix it up until it's all combined, and then put it into the tray and push it right to the edges and flatten it out. Yeah? Couldn't be harder. Now you've got that. Have a look at the recipe because I'm about to change the slide. So the only thing you've got to remember is the two cups of milk. Everything else is there for you. When you're done... You <laughs> When you're done, you just need to um, give Neil um, a, a just like a wink, we're done, and he's going to take it out to the oven for us. All right? Okay. So, cook away, young people. Thank you. All right. Three, two, one, plus one cake. It's a really quick and easy recipe that you can just go really, really fast, whack it in the oven, comes out, cook it till it's golden brown, and then... You can cut it. It's, it's like a bit scony, but a bit spongy. Um, yeah, put some butter on it, put some jam on it, whatever you want to do, um, and then there's a recipe. A way to satisfy your hunger and get rid of that kind of... Okay, so, but I'm wondering, we all understand that feeling of hunger, but I want to ask you a serious question today. And I think it's okay that we ask these questions. Like, not you, I didn't mean you, I meant um, <laughs> I think as a church, as a family, this is a place where we can ask ourselves some serious questions. We can come here and go, let me, let me assess some things. And when we realise and understand where we are exactly at, then we can move to a place or ask God to help us to move to a place. So the question I'm going to ask you, is it a bit runny? Hmm. Pause. Okay, at your discretion, if you think it's a bit runny, wow, that just like blew the whole three, two, one thing out of the window, but anyway, it works at home. I, wanna, I really want to seriously challenge you. Are there any other places that you have longing or you hunger and thirst for something? And then I want to ask you this morning, in this moment, by yourself, to assess, where is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Where's it at? You think about it for you. If I'm just thinking about me and God right now and the relationship that we have together, what's the, when you're thinking about your relationship with Jesus Christ, is it like going to the fridge and opening it up and going, oh, it's not much there? Or is your relationship and the way you interact with Jesus Christ, the way he influences your daily decisions, do you go to the cupboard and go, 
Oh, it's a bit bare. It's a bit sparse. Or it might not just be your whole relationship. It might be just that the individual components of your life, you can recognize when you actually ask and assess that there are parts of your life that is void of the influence of God. Whether you choose not to let him come into that space or whether just because it's just the way you do stuff and you do that part of your life without God, that's just your choice. But I want you to assess it and have a look this morning. Because I think sometimes when we look deeply, there are moments when we go, actually, there's longing there. There's a hunger for something to be different. There's a thirst, a desire for something to actually, at this point of time in my life, far out. I'm the closest to God that I have ever been. And I want to celebrate that with you as a church and encourage you to listen today to a recipe on how to show others to reconnect to their Savior. So even if for you, you're like, I'm in my prime, the sweet spot, then today is a way for you to listen for a recipe to reconnect your family and those people around you back to their God. How can we bring healing? How can we bring revival? How can we bring intimacy back with our God? And how can we inspire others to do the same? I believe today we're going to look at a passage in Second Chronicles, and I think it has that recipe, and it's easy. It's just as easy as this. And I think it's something that as a church we need to grasp onto for ourselves and then to share with the community around us. But before we get to Chronicles, I want to give you some context. And this is literally going to be like a fast and furious journey through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then we will get to Chronicles. Ooh, nice spreading action there. Lovely. All right, so strap in. Ready? We're going. I want to give you a history today of the earthly kings that were ruling from the time of Samuel. You'll remember that Samuel in God's nation of Israel, they, uh, they were under God as their heavenly king. They didn't have an earthly king. They were under God as their heavenly king. But they looked at the nations around them and just went, we don't want just a prophet that like communicates for God with us. We don't want to be led by that anymore. We want a king. We want someone who is going to put the gear on, the robe on. Thank you so much, gentlemen. And, you know, act like a king. We want someone to walk in front of us in battle. We want an earthly king that we can look at. God warned against it. But the people cried out for it. And he gave it to them. And we're going to go full pelt through these kings. And we're going to stop for one story along the way. The first king that came was that was anointed was Saul. He was God's first appointed king. And you'll see the reference there if you want to go through and have a look at these stories in detail later. And then after Saul came David. And he was taught, like titled, you would say, the greatest king of all time. A man after God's own heart. And then came Solomon. And Solomon, this is where we're going to park just for a moment because there's a significant story that goes along with Solomon that's going to tie this together at the end. 
Now, David had plans to build a temple for the Lord, but he was told it wasn't his task. He gathered the material for it, and it was his successor, Solomon, that was given the task to create God's temple. Now, here's a picture, uh, a depiction of God's temple. Now, there is no way that I can capture for you the grandeur and the splendor of this temple. And if you want to understand and get a picture of what it's like, then read through the account of the materials that were required to build it, of the gold, of the brass, the bronze that is in there. It's just so amazing when you read what was required to build it. And the part of the story that we want to pick up is on the high day. Solomon is consecrating this temple. The furniture that has been carefully tucked away and kept safe has now been brought into the temple. You can imagine that everyone is there. The nation is gathering because something that they had been working towards, contributing for, contributing to, has finally come about. The last thing to come in to the temple is the Ark of the Covenant. So the very seat of God's throne here on earth, this very, very sacred object that has so many stories itself around it and the way that God has used it, it finally gets taken into the temple very carefully. It gets taken in through a swarm of musicians and trumpeters and priests and a huge choir. The ark is placed perfectly where it needs to be and then the priests move out and as it's placed, the priests give the signal and musicians start playing. And the Bible gives a description of what instruments were used in that space. And then it says there was an extra 120 priests there that were trumpeters. So if you don't like trumpets, it's probably going to be a little bit loud, but it was huge, 120 trumpets. We've had our kids practice trumpet before. Um, 120, but I'm sure they were experts. And they had been preparing music for a really long time, writing and preparing music for this day. So all of the people, all of the trumpets, all of the musicians, and then a whole choir starts singing. And what they are singing is the Bible says, he is good, his love endures forever. And then at that moment, A great big cloud comes from heaven and fills the space of the temple. God's spirit comes into the temple and the Bible actually reports that the cloud was so thick, the priests had to stop their priestly duties. They just couldn't see. God so thickly filled that temple with his presence in that moment. And after that happens, Solomon turns around, he faces the people, and he just gives a blessing onto the people. 
And then he moves from the inner court out to this big uh, altar here. And the Bible says that the altar is so filled with uh, sacrifices and offerings that it was spilling over. They had to put space around it so, um, because there was just so much. So he stands on there. He actually kneels on a platform in front of it. He stretches his arms out in front of the people and he prays for them. He prays a prayer. You'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 8. He kneels down, and I'm just going to read. This is how he finishes the prayer. Think about this if you were in that moment at that celebration. And then also think about this if you are in this moment here celebrating the Sabbath with us today. Solomon finishes his prayer like this. Praise be to the Lord who has given to his people Israel just as he promised. He's a promise keeper. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he has been with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts towards him. May we walk in obedience to him, keep his commandments and decrees and laws that he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and to obey his commands at this time. You can imagine that there's silence as Solomon prays this prayer. And then as he finishes that prayer, the Bible describes that fire comes down from heaven into that space and consumes every offering that was there. God is absolutely showing his presence on that day for his people. A significant event in these lines of kings that come. And then following that high day, the Bible says at a later time, God comes to Solomon in a dream. And he says, I've heard what you've said. And yes, I will do what you've asked. I will look after my people. When they go wrong, I will still be there for them. When they turn back to me, I will see them, I will hear them, and I will forgive them. So Solomon, a significant king in this quick line of kings. And then we go to the next ones. They're small because there's a lot. I had to fit them on here. All right. If you're pregnant, even if you haven't told anyone, if you're looking for baby names, like get a pen out. All right. Jeroboam, the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, So at this time, after Solomon, Israel was one nation, but then there was some kind of civil unrest and the nations divided. So the nation of Israel moved to the northern kingdom. They had a whole separate line of kings. We're going to concentrate on the line of Judah, the line that comes from David. 
all the way down to you'll see what happens at the end of these kings. Okay, so Rehoboam, he reigned for 17 years. He was the king over the southern kingdom of Judah, and he followed the line of David, the son of Solomon. Then there was Abijah, three years. He's best known for being wicked. And then there was Asa, 41 years, someone, a king who revived God's presence, like revived people to look back at God and worship God. And then there was Jehoshaphat, 25 years. He worshiped God, he established education, and he established judges. Then there was Jehoram, eight years. He worshiped idols, murdered all of his brothers. Um, Ahaziah, one year. Clearly one year is not enough to get a significant name for yourself because not much is said about him. Okay, and then Atalia, queen, that's how I choose to say it, um, she reigned for six years. Now, you might remember this story. She was actually the previous king's mum. And in order for her, she wanted her, she wanted to continue to rule. So we actually, she actually tried to kill all of her grandchildren. Um, but one was rescued. Joash was hidden away. And then Joash becomes our very next king, crowned at the age of seven and ruled for 40 years, repaired the temple. Then there was Amaziah, 29 years, mostly good, but when you read about the Bible, like <laughs> there's a few people that comment his name is, he's a mediocre king. Um, and then Azariah, 52 years, powerful and famous, brought God to the forefront so that all um, kingdoms around him kind of looked on and went, yeah, like there's something to look at there. There's something there. Then there was Jotham, 16 years, worshiped God and pagan idols at the same time. Um, then there was Azam, 16 years. He sacrificed his own son to pagan gods. Then there was Hezekiah. He was nine years, and he was a devoted follower of God. Then there was Manasseh, 55 years. He worshipped idols and was known to be a sorcerer. Um, then there was Ammon, two years. Not much said about him. Josiah, 31 years, loved God with all his heart. That's what he is known for. And then there's Jehoiaz. Three months, then Jehoiakim, 11 years. And he was just a puppet king for Babylon and Egypt. And this was the first time that God's, some of God's people were taken into exile into Babylon. And if you know the story of Daniel, this is the story where him and his friends were taken in this period um, under Jehoiakim. And then there was Jehoiachin. Like three months, and then he was ruler when there was a second exile, so more people were taken into captivity. And then there was Zedekiah. He ruled for 11 years. And in this time, Zedekiah, under his rule, was the moment that these kings came to an end. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed, burnt to the ground. That beautiful temple was burnt to the ground. And everyone was taken away to Babylon. And that was the end of the southern kingdom of Judah. And now we want to go to the book of Chronicles. So if you've got your Bible or you want to follow on on your app, just go to Second Chronicles to start with. Now, 2 Chronicles, it's important to understand that this book is written as a companion. These two books are written as companion books 
to First and Second Kings. So lots of the similar stories with more or less detail in some cases um, are written. But when this is written, Chronicles, it's written with a different audience in mind. The audience, the people that were going to read Second Chronicles at, or that were going to have Second Chronicles preached to them or taught to them were the exiles from Babylon that had come back generations, families later that had returned. So eventually, 150 years after King Zedekiah saw everyone carried away under King Nebuchadnezzar, they were allowed to come back. They were released to come back to their homeland. And they were coming back to this place with a hunger and a thirst and a longing for their heritage to be restored, for their family homes to rise up again, for their nation to be great again. They were there with a similar kind of hunger and thirst that we know we can experience on a daily basis, so we know what it feels like, but times by so much And as they walked back into what was the glory of their home territory, Jerusalem, they walk to the image of rubble and they stand there looking at what was. And I imagine that you've probably had some moments in your life where you'll get in a certain situation and you'll assess what's gone on around you and you'll be standing there and you'll be going, how did we get here again? How did we get here? Or how did this particular aspect of my life, how is God not in, how did I leave him out again? How did we get here again? And then starts that longing of how do we reconnect? How do we restore? And that's when this book of 2 Chronicles becomes so important. And the passage that we're going to look at looks back at the event that we just spoke about that happens in the reign of the third king of Israel, Solomon. But how could what happened with Solomon and God be really relevant to these people that were now standing in the rubble of the temple? And how could a conversation, an interaction between God and Solomon be relevant for you and I today sitting in this room? Or maybe not even for you, how could it be relevant for your neighbour, your friend, your son, your daughter, your workmate, your classmate, your uni mate? How could it be relevant to us? So if you have a look at, go to chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to finish at 22. Now, there's lots on my screen, so if you can look on yours, you can um, probably follow on a little bit easier. Now, we didn't read it before, but we're going to read it now. Before you'll remember, I said that um, that God had a response to Solomon. And this is God's response to Solomon. And the writer of Chronicles, which is not, no one really knows rock solid, but Jewish tradition says that it's Ezra that writes Chronicles in the time when these exiles have returned to a wasteland. 
and they painstakingly record in Chronicles what God promised back to Solomon that day, that very special day. And it says this, the Lord appeared to him, to Solomon, at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. So remember, this is on the day, like the days after the temple has just been built. It's all beautiful. Chronicles is looking back to that time about 520 years earlier. I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if any of that stuff happens, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be here, there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all that I command and observe all my decrees and laws, then I will establish my royal throne, your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. Bye. If you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands that I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving him, them. That is why he brought all this disaster upon them. Can you imagine those exiles that had returned from Babylon standing in the rubble of the temple, hearing that, that happened 520 years ago. Can you imagine a moment where in their head it clicks and they look at the rubble around them and they look at that and go, whoa, that was the warning. We're standing in the consequence of not following that warning. He said 520 years ago that if we didn't follow him, if we didn't stay with him, if we didn't stay connected to him, then he can't protect us if we don't want him to. And we're standing in the rubble of that right now. And I hope that those people, and I think the reason why this prayer is included is because they want to emphasize that before that warning came a promise that if my people pray, 
no matter what happens, no matter where they find themselves. In verse 14, it says, if my people pray, no matter if you've come back from exile, no matter if there's spaces in your life where you haven't let me in, it doesn't matter. I will hear you. And then it goes on to say, if my people pray who are called by my name, that's you, that's me. We are his people. If we hum pray to God, we are so truthful between him and I that we say, this is where I am. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not even hiding what we've done. In fact, those people looking around were like, well, we really can't hide what we've done. It's the rubble is all around us. And God says, that's okay. I'll take you standing in your rubble, but let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest and assess where are we at together. And when we turn our hearts, our faces, our minds towards Jesus Christ, he says, I will hear you. And then he says, but there's stuff that you're doing that's a barrier between you and I. Can you get rid of that? so that we can just be close again. And so he asks us in this moment to go, if there's sin that gets in the way of you and I, if there's stuff that you and I both know are wrong, let's get it out of the way. I will hear you from heaven. I will forgive you and I will heal your land. There's a recipe for reconnection. And it's simple, as simple as three, two, one plus one cake. If there is a time when we are standing in a space where we're not okay with, when we assess our connection with Christ and we leave feeling like it's a little bit bare, Second Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 14, gives us a reconnection recipe. The ingredients, you and God. Anytime, any place, anywhere, you and God. And then the method. If my people pray, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I promise. And I'll forgive them and I will heal their land. I look around my land where I live, and I look around people that I interact with on a daily basis, and I see people that need healing. I see people that are hurting. I see um, lots of different types of people, people that might have been Christian for their whole entire lives, but there's little sections of their life that they've never allowed God to be part of. And it just is unsettling. And if you've ever been with someone, then memorize this. This is your opportunity to take a recipe away in your pocket and go, if I'm ever sitting with someone or if I'm ever feeling or if my wife is ever feeling, if my husband's ever feeling, if my children are ever feeling like they're standing in a rubble and a wasteland and don't know how to get out and is God really there and does he really care? Yes, he does. 
Because in, in Kings, you can read it, and in Second Chronicles, it's repeated again to say that your God is there for you, no matter where you're at, no matter what you want, but the key is you seek him out. Pray to him. Turn your face towards him. Now, I've got a challenge, and I've got a story that goes along with this challenge. This is my challenge at seven, if my people pray. Now, for those of you at school, I've been a school um, senior chaplain, not senior chaplain, senior high school chaplain um, for quite a few years now. And we have an opportunity here at at, um, school that kids can become student chaplains. So they become part of our chaplaincy team. And one of the things, one of the initiatives that we do as student chaplains is we pray at seven. So we introduce them to the concept of going at seven o'clock in the morning or at seven o'clock at night or both if you want to. We want you to set your alarms, set set your watches, and we want you to stop and pray no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. And each week we come together and we brainstorm a list of what's going on in your grade, what's going on in your grade. Here's the things we're going to pray for. Now here's my challenge. I believe that the community of North Pine and surrounding areas, there are people and there's also parts of our lives that are in here that we feel like lie in rubble. And so I want to become a community at North Pine that holds on to 2 Chronicles 7.14. I want us to become a congregation that prays. So here is my challenge. What you are looking at is the design for Refreshers at Seven shirt. So they are black, and that logo that you see runs down the left-hand side of the shirt. So I am looking for ambassadors, brand ambassadors for at Seven. So what I want you to do now, before we go any further... Put your hand up if you're a watchy alarm kind of person. If you, you don't use your phone, you use your watch. Anyone here use your watch? All right. So now I want you to go to where you set your alarms in your watch and decide if you're a morning person or a night person or if you're both and then set an alarm. If you're a phone kind of person alarm, I want you to get your phone out when you go to where you set your alarms, decide whether you're a night person or a morning person, and I want you to set your alarm at seven. Because can you imagine, what would there be in this room? 140, 130 people in this room. Imagine if as of tonight or tomorrow, 130 people committed to consistently praying once or twice a day for our community, for our extended community, for our families. Now, the most powerful time for me that this has happened is um, I was in a bus in Cambodia, packed full of year 11 and 12 high school students that were on a bumpy bus. It was like the bus had no suspension. And we were traveling from Kompong Tom up to um, the Thai border. Is that correct, Roger? Nod if I'm right. (laughs) Yes. Um, And we were told that this trip was only going to take maybe two or three hours. So we were like, yeah, okay, let's go up there. Because you see the Mekong River, like it's beautiful. And we wanted to go there. 
Turns out, though, the person that told us that it was only two or three hours hadn't travelled it in over a year. There'd been some big rains. And I think if you said road, it's a very loose term to be applied to that drive. And what was meant to be kind of a three-hour drive turned into, I think we were like on there for more than six hours. We'd done the whole day and it was turning into the evening. We had no food with us because we're like, it's only a three or four-hour drive, so we'll just get there. So we have a bus packed full of bored, hungry 11 and 12 students. Someone, because everybody, when you go on a school camp, has a speaker. So um, we did have to go, no, let's just have one speaker. And so the speaker started to blare. Someone else had, um, they all turned their lights on their phones. And literally this car turned into probably the worst, but it was still fun, karaoke. Everybody was singing. And we were singing for probably the last two hours. People were like going, I can't sing anymore. And it was so, so loud. Torchlights going everywhere, everybody's singing. And then all of a sudden I hear, dit, 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 dit. someone's watch goes off. And then someone goes, shh, shh, turn the music off, turn the music off, stop, everybody stop. And like everyone's like, why? No, stop, shh. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock's the time we need to pray because he was one of our student chaplains. In all the clutter and the crowd of everyone screaming and singing, and not everyone on that trip loved, was close, or had a connection to God, but this one person went, whoa, did it, seven o'clock, stop, silence. And I'm like, wow. And he boldly prayed that the trip would end, (laughs) that there'd be food, but he praised God for where we were and what we were doing. If a year 11 student has the tenacity to go, no, no matter where I am and what I am doing, at that point, I'm stopping. And no matter who I am with, whether they pray with me, whether they laugh at me, I will pray. I will stay committed to this cause. And imagine if our whole church did that. Imagine as your families, if you you went, oh, seven o'clock, you know what? We might be in the middle of a late dinner. Yep, we've just said grace, but let's pause again. What are we praying for today? What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Imagine if we became a community that never lost sight of the promise that God delivered in Kings and then was repeated in 2 Chronicles. If my people pray, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I'll hear you. I'll turn towards you. I'll forgive you. So here's my challenge. I'm looking for some brand ambassadors. In order to get one of my T-shirts for free, I'm not sure who's funding them, but we'll find it, I promise. So one of these shirts, if you want to be a brand ambassador for me, here's what you will need to do, and I'll get you to write it down over there before you leave. There's a sign-up sheet over there. You'll need to write your name, your first name, your last name, and your phone number. And then you've got to give me a description of your commitment. What's your commitment? And I'm going to check in with you during the year. 
So your commitment might be, you know what, I've got five friends and I'm going to set up on Tuesday nights at seven when our alarm goes off, we're going to FaceTime each other and pray together. That could be your commitment. And, and, and then you, I'll, I'll check in with you. It could be, you know what, this was the kick that I needed. One night a week, my house is open at seven. And if anyone wants to gather for 20 minutes and pray, and maybe we'll read some of our Bible, maybe we'll just have a hot drink and a biscuit, that's my commitment. And I want to hold you to it and I want to encourage you in that and celebrate that with you. Maybe it's I'm going to go to Young Adults Connect groups and I'm going to be the one watching the clock on Wednesday nights. And when we're eating dinner and seven o'clock comes, I'm going to go, hang on, everybody, can we pray? That's going to be my commitment. Maybe I'm going to call my grandmother. Maybe I'm going to do a small group. Maybe whatever it is, whatever way that you feel like you can commit to helping me promote and encourage our refreshed community to pray together this year. And you're willing to be my brand ambassador and we'll meet during the year I'll take you out for dinner. We'll spend some time together praying over your, what you commit to as one of our brand ambassadors. Then I want you to come and see me over on the side, on the Connect desk, and you can sign up there. We have an amazing ministry that Mel is going to tell you about a little bit later, but um, prayer ninjas. And, and if you want to be a brand ambassador for this, then connect with that as well. And this will give you some content of things that are happening in our community that we can pray for. So that's my challenge. Set your watch, set your phone. What if we're a community that prays 